Welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. On today's show, podcaster Heather Henderson and Emery Emery of the Ardent Atheist podcast. My father was a, a, a folk musician who got started uh, later in his adult life. Uh, he also performed at a place called The Perimeter, and that's where I got started. My dad would take me to the coffee house, and then he'd say, come up and sing a couple of songs. And, you know, I would sing kids' songs, like, on top of Old Smokey. And then um, one day he said, hey, you want to go to the movies? And I said, sure. He goes, okay, first we're going to go to South Street, and we're going to sing a few songs. And then uh, we're th- when they don't take you to the movies. So I started street singing with my dad when I was, you know, a little, a little girl. And then we just kept doing it and kept doing it. And... And that's how I kind of got started. Greetings and welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast with Dan Buskirk. Here we interview artists, writers, and musicians about their lives and work. We can be found along with past episodes at SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher under Fun to Know podcast, always with the numeral two. You can find photos and more about our guests on the Fun to Know podcast pages at Facebook and at Twitter, and we'll be delighted if you take a minute to leave a review of the show on iTunes or any of these platforms, or just send me a note with your thoughts through Facebook. Thanks again for listening. Just a quick announcement before today's show. I'll be the instructor of a new class starting in January at Fleischer Arts Memorial over five Thursdays. We'll be looking at some of the great works by women directors in a film class called 50 Years of Women Directors. We'll see films by Agnes Varda, Claudia Vile, Julie Dash, Catherine Briand, and Lucretia Martel. It's an intriguing batch of films. I invite you to check out more about the class at Fleischer.com. That's F-L-E-I-S-H-E-R dot O-R-G. Now on to today's show. Our guests are Heather Henderson and Emery Emery, who together host the award-winning Ardent Atheist podcast, as well as the podcast Skeptically Yours. I've known Heather since the early 2000s when she was part of the Philly-based burlesque troupe The Peekaboo Review, who specialized in comedy and satire along with classic strip routines. Heather was a memorable performer with the troupe, but I knew her experiences as a performer went back to the 90s with a stint as a dancer on the very popular locally produced shows Dancing on Air and Dance Party USA, which, like their Philly-launched forerunner American Bandstand, featured teens dancing in a studio set to the latest pop and dance hits. Heather also acted, appearing in Mannequin 2 and Annapolis, as well as singing with the R&B group Solomite. In 2010, Heather relocated to Los Angeles, where she continued as a burlesque performer and also met her partner, comedian Emery Emery, who toured extensively as a stand-up and who worked as an editor and producer of many stand-up projects, including editing the hit stand-up doc The Aristocrats. Together, they launched the Ardent Atheist podcast in 2011 and soon after Skeptically Yours. Heather is also currently a member of Penn Jillette's No God Band and is studying film production at the Art Institute in Los Angeles. I caught up with Heather and Emery on their trip back east as they were attending the Pennsylvania State Atheist Humanist Conference where they recorded an episode of The Ardent Atheist and caught up with old friends. Over the course of our talk, we discuss Heather's growing up in Camden, her baby Heather phase, Philly's pungency, L.A. Sun, Jews for Jesus, Mother Teresa, Modern Attention Spans, Penn Jillette, The Death of Prince, and more. We begin our conversation at the Kitchen Table Studios with Heather, bringing in Emery at about the halfway mark. Let's head over now.
How long does? How long is the show? Uh, it's uh, it's kind of loose. You know, usually we keep things going for uh, uh, at least an hour. Okay. But uh, but you know, it doesn't have to go much further than that. If you don't have that much time, that's fine. I'm fine. Our podcast is an hour and a half, yeah, so anything under minutes, so. anything under that is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Heather Henderson from uh, The Ardent Atheist and Skeptically Yours, two very popular podcasts. Uh-huh. Uh, Emery Emery is also in the building. I, I think he'll get on mic at some point here. Yeah. And uh, you're back in Philadelphia after uh, moving out uh, years ago, I guess, to Seven LA. Seven years ago. And uh, Heather's been part of a, a lot of incredible projects. She's uh, I could impress my 12-year-old right away by saying she has her own magic card. Yes, I have uh, my own Magic the Gathering magic card. Magic the Gathering. And as a matter of fact, I uh, met with the artist. He came, uh, Dave Palumbo is the artist, and he lives here in Philadelphia. And he and his wife, who, are, who are, is also a burlesque friend of mine, came to the hotel where we were staying to hang out with us for a little while. And oh, wow. it was just so nice to see him because... He's he's a big, huge part of my career and life and just this overall sweet, sweet guy. So got to hang out with him. Well, yeah, you're, I mean, you're kind of back here uh, taking a victory lap after uh, being out in L.A. for a long time. How long has it been since you've visited Philadelphia? I visited Philadelphia last year. And the, and the sad reason I visited is because I don't know if you knew Melissa Bang Bang. Oh, yes. Yeah, she passed away. Yeah. So uh, I had to come back and go to the funeral. She, she was like the the dear loved dearly loved burlesque beauty that um the peekaboo review you know we all revered her and she was in everything and, and you were both big... part of that back in you know 2005 or so yeah yeah and uh, they're performing tonight i'm gonna go check them out okay they're still going still going with some of the original members it's just amazing um and so i came back for her funeral she died way too young but she had so many uh, medical issues, and she she didn't expect to live this long. Yeah, but yeah. she did. I, I love Melissa, but there always was that hint of tragedy because I knew that her health wasn't always uh, yeah always good. Very sad her passing. But she has a web page. Uh, I mean, uh, a Facebook page, and we keep in touch with her mom, and we post pictures and videos when we find. Them I remember seeing her do Viva Las Vegas at the Troc. Yes, with the yes. six guns and everything, and yes. I really felt like I was you know channeling Troc history. With yes, her there. we've yeah. we performed at the Troc. A bunch of times. That was just like the biggest honor to actually go to the truck and do burlesque. Yeah, in the seventies when I was a kid, it still had the ads in the Philadelphia Bulletin of who was appearing at the truck and uh-huh. all these uh, spicy strippers' names. And years later, my mom admitted that uh, once she went there with my father. Oh God, that's awesome! <laughs> You're cool, mom. The Trocadero, still here in Philadelphia, is like a concert hall and everything. Yeah. So, what's your impression coming back to Philadelphia after uh, you know being west for so long? gentrification yeah. <laughs> yeah a lot of changes in in buildings and businesses and lots of condos and yeah. things like that back especially in fishtown and uh northern liberties where i was living and uh so it's fine it's expected it yeah. happens but i'm just happy to see uh a lot of the, the smiling happy faces that i left when i you know left seven years ago and uh you know Callie Morgan, who owns Passionel Boutique, she came out and hung out with us, and then we went and checked out her store and stuff. Like, it's just nice to see that there are some people still here who 
you know, I love and and they're all still going strong. Yeah, yeah. The the city it's it's definitely a suffering from gentrification, but it's such a large city that it can absorb it. I lived out in San Francisco in the '90s, and you know, it couldn't absorb that big a change. It's only seven miles by seven miles. Where at least Philadelphia, there's still some sort of edges to be pushed to for artists and uh, you know people that uh, end up getting you know rolled over by gentrification. It's happening. I mean, burlesque will never die you know because it, it, it just moves with everything else it just rolls along you know it changes when with everything else if, if one club closes down another one will open up you know so uh and then last when i was here uh before i moved out south street was just getting renovated so there were a lot of empty store fronts and they were uh doing construction on the street yeah. They were changing the sidewalks around. And- well, it was interesting. When when South Street sort of had a crash around 2006 or so, the first thing to really pull out were all the chains. Yeah. Suddenly, the, the, you know, the Gap and Kentucky Fried Chicken and everything, they right. were really the first to go. And then the, wow. the, the rest of the, you know, uh, the rest of the, the street got bitten. But, you know, there's there's still some life down there. I yeah. Something. I mean, I've just, we just walked from 2nd Street up to here, which is 9th Street, and it was, was bustling. Yeah. You know, there's lots of stuff going on. So it reminded me kind of of back when I used to come here as a kid yeah. and, you know, there was stuff to do and there were things to see and lots of sex shops and, <laughs> and lots of of pot store pot uh, paraphernalia stores and oh. now there's hookah bars. So I, I, it's like <laughs> I do like to get people's origin stories and and you and I uh, both share the fact that uh, we we've both lived in Camden before. I, yes. I, I lived for a few years when I was when I was older there right on the uh Ben Franklin Bridge Plaza there. Oh, you did? And that row houses are right on the uh, the toll booths there? Yes. That's right. Wow, seven, right there. $77 a month my rent was, so <gasps> splitting what? it with, with five other people. Uh, but the, but the, the red lights of the police cars were uh, going in our living room all the time because that's where they'd pull people over after the bridge. Oh, gosh. But you grew up. <laughs> you get used to it. Well, like when I lived in Fishtown, I lived right uh, at the L stop. So uh, it was yeah. like... You know, just like in the Blues Brothers, it goes by so often you forget that it's there. So, yeah. and it did. I, and I could always tell when the train was about to come because my TV would change colors. <laughs> so, <laughs> train's coming. <laughs> it's like blue and purple. Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about your beginnings in uh, in Camden. I mean, you. Uh, oh, Camden. You had uh, two very interesting parents. Your father was a musician. And, yeah, uh, my mom started off as a social worker, uh, and then she turned into a paralegal, and she went back to school in her 50s and became a paralegal. My father was a, a, a folk musician who got started uh, later in his adult life, early in his adult life, but late for someone just learning how to play guitar. Yeah. Uh, and he taught himself guitar, banjo, harmonica, violin, and he learned... a all these old folk songs from his past from his childhood and he he toured the camden city school systems teaching kids about black history so black history month was a big time for him because that's when he would be booked a lot uh he also you know performed at a place called the perimeter do you remember that that was in collingswood new jersey oh i've heard i've heard the name perimeter coffee house what was his name what did he eddie henderson eddie henderson yeah uh, and that's where I got started. My dad would take me to the coffee house and then he'd say, come up and sing a couple of songs. And, you know, I would sing kids songs like, you know, on top of Old Smokey. And How old were you? I started singing when I was seven. Wow. Yeah. And then um, one day he said, hey, you want to go to the movies? And I said, sure. He goes, OK, first we're going to go to South Street and we're going to sing a few songs. And then uh, <laughs> we're th- and then I'll take you to the movies. So I started street singing with my dad when I was wow. 
you know, a little, a little girl. And then we just kept doing it and kept doing it. And I would just go with him too. He, he also performed at the Philadelphia Folk Festival and just all sorts of things, all sorts of festivals and shows all around uh, Philadelphia. And that's how I kind of got started. And then my mom was like, oh, she, she's good. Let's see if we can get her manager, you know, so (laughs) just went from there and they were trying to get me in anything they could, auditions. So I was going back and forth to New York for auditions. I was that, that girl, that out-of-place girl where they were like, all right, all the dancers line up and and we're going to do this this routine. One, two, three, four. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was so out of place. But I did it. Wow. Did you, did you get work out of that? Uh, yeah, I got more work uh, here in Philadelphia than I did in New York. I think it's about because you know, you don't live there. So why would they, it's just like if you live in LA, but you have a Philadelphia address, they're not going to hire you because you live so far away. You're not exactly available at a moment's notice. So, um, I got a lot of work in Philadelphia. Actually, Sesame street is in New York. I was on Sesame street once. So once, so I got a little bit in New York. How was that? What was it like the backstage of Sesame street? Oh, I loved it. That's, there is no backstage. The whole place is a stage. Like they just kind of move walls around and stuff. Oh, wow. So it was it was great sitting near Oscar the Grouch's can, and I met Big Bird and Snuffleupagus and Maria uh, and Louis Louis Louis. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was it was. I mean, a kid's dream come true, really. Oh, <laughs> So then, uh, where, where did you go between there and being baby Heather? You were uh, uh, on the very popular dance show in town, I know, at one yeah. point. Yeah. I started off as a local show, and then it turned nationwide. Was Dancing on Air when I was in, when I was in high school and kids were watching it constantly, just like bandstand, kids yep. dancing on a soundstage with, you know, pop stars brought in occasionally. Yeah, Dancing on Air, and then, uh, then it turned into a nationwide show called Dance Party USA. It was on the USA channel. Yeah. Was Rennie Harris involved with that? Rennie Harris was the, he was the... Um, great hip-hop dancer? He was a great hip-hop dancer, but he was the, I can't remember, he was the guy that got everybody to applaud and oh, would wave yeah. the paper around and go, you know, he kind of managed that's the kids. A, yeah, that's kind of, what, like, what do they call that, line producer? Or yeah, like line that. producer, yeah, yeah. yeah. I worked with him at Tower years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And now he's, I guess he's doing a lot of dancing still. He's a choreographer for some dance troops and he's doing really yeah, well. Yeah, it seems like he, he's all over the, the world yeah. doing his work. He's doing what he loves to do. Uh, but yeah, and uh, like New Kids on the Block came on that show. Madonna was on the show. Um, Biz Markey. Uh, who else? I mean, just so many people came on that show. And it's so funny, New Kids on the Block came on in that show. And, and everybody, that was when they were in their like, height of popularity and sure. i didn't i missed that show because i didn't care <laughs> i was like eh, i'll stay home and i did because so many people wanted to be there i was sure. like i'll give up my spot because i just don't care <laughs> years and years later on the set of annapolis in 2005 donnie Wahlberg is playing a, a principal role in the movie annapolis and i'm also playing a principal next to him so we get to hang out anyway <laughs> it's much nicer to me <laughs> than he probably would have been back then so I was more excited by Biz Markey, tell the truth. Biz Markey. Oh, my gosh. I have a story about him. It was really bizarre. He comes uh, comes in. You know, we're on the set. All the kids are lined up kind of in a semicircle waiting for the, everything to start. We're just kind of hanging out. Biz Markey is told, okay, stand here. He stands in the middle of the set, and he just is holding this mic that's not wired or anything, and he has this blank 
stare on his face and is you know how he, he would sit there with his mouth hanging open and he's sitting there with his mouth hanging open and he was super still like he was in some sort of weird trance and he stood still like that they told him to go up there he stood still for what seemed like five minutes and then they were like already all right we're about to roll and then as soon as they were like three two you know boom started moving like he was a daggone frozen mannequin i'll never forget it and I, and me and the other kids are looking at each other like what is he doing what is he doing if you're not going to make an entrance that's you know the, the next coolest thing he I just think. froze i mean i fully expected him to start drooling i mean it, it was really bizarre so, and he's still doing good too he's oh, like yeah. on gabba gabba the the show oh, the yeah. kids show so yeah, yeah, I love those records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still have my, my Bismarcky CDs for sure. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, how old were you when you were appearing on this show? Um, between the ages of 15 and 18. Wow. And, th- and that's a real sort of, you're, you're a local uh, celebrity at that point oh, to be on yes. the show. People knew all those kids' names. What were you wearing, do you think, uh, at this What time? was I wearing? <laughs> yeah. No parent in their right mind would let their kid go out in the things that I was wearing. Because back then, you know, I was a huge Prince fan. Yeah, so I would say you kind of look like you were in the Prince entourage, the I, pictures I've seen. Right. I was wearing the tightest outfits. I had things that were cut out in places that, you know, I tried to be as creative as possible. I, I mean, when I used to go to thrift stores when thrift stores weren't cool <laughs> and buy my clothes and alter them and wow. paint on them and put safety pins all over and try to make myself stand out and look as unique as possible but also staying within the prince like realm i didn't have the money to be able to actually go out and get tailored clothes or get expensive things um but I, I did my best with what I had at the time and I had a great time oh that's great yeah I don't have any of that stuff left it's all <laughs> been trashed but I still have some of my fan mail which is fun yeah. it's fun to keep as a keepsake absolutely what, what, what were kids writing to you about oh my gosh uh, not only kids wrote to me we <laughs> um, <laughs> as a 16 year old uh, we were getting a lot of mail from prison uh-huh. um, but what what happened <laughs> what, what happened was um, they sort the mail they opened all the mail first before the kids got it because yeah. they wanted to pre they had to preview it because we were all underage yeah. um, and so then they would open it and anything that was seen inappropriate they'd throw out uh, but sometimes one would slip through <laughs> so I'd get some a few every once in a while I'd get some prison mail uh-huh. and it was always like you're so beautiful and I when I get out of prison uh, I want you to meet me and you know <laughs> and then at at, uh, at one point I started helping out in the offices and so i got to open the mail so i got to see the mail before everybody else did (laughs) and so i got to really see what was being sent and it was really eye-opening to go wow they threw out this much mail and so because you got to read it yeah yeah I i knew what people were getting but but the kids would send pictures they would draw things Send send things they made. I I mean, this one girl sent me a jean jacket that she like painted with a peace symbol on it, and prints, and like a whole jean jacket and wow. um, jewelry, like stuff that they would make, not expensive stuff. Just and like, then maybe they'll see you wear it on the show. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I did. Yeah, I I would wear it on the show. That's great. Uh, so stuff like that. 
send pictures. I had a I had a really long time pen pal who lived in San Francisco. And the reason why we became such good friends was because he's a huge Prince fan and his handwriting was amazing. Like I don't know why that sounds funny, but if you had seen it, you would have known. Yeah. It was very artistic yeah. looking and it uh, was, we forget how nice it was to get a handwritten right. leather and all, all the emotion that you could put in that letter. But it was artistic and it was creative and it was like calligraphy almost. Yeah. You know, it was like his own style of writing and he hand wrote everything out and drew things on the on the envelopes for me and stuff and um we just became pen pals i looked him up recently and found out he died like two years ago and i'm in la and he was in san francisco and he was still there and i was like I, I remember this guy let me go see and look him up and i found that he died and i was like damn it damn it like i i wanted to be like hey i never forgot about you you know so, Facebook is good for that. Yeah, yeah. found them. Too yeah. late, but found them. Give, give, give it up. You gotta give, a give it up. Give, give, give it up. You gotta give, a give it up. So is this what led to Baby Heather? This, uh, this. Uh... Yeah, you know what? How I got that name was uh, on Dancing on Air. Uh, they were. I started becoming a regular. I started coming back every weekend to tape shows, and everyone had like a little nickname. And I said, I don't know what to call myself. Ah, Baby Heather. Okay, I'm Baby Heather. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> I wish I'd pick something else, but that's what happened, and it stuck. And yeah. so, Baby Heather. I didn't have time to dig out my, my baby Heather 12-inch. Oh, God, I'm so glad you did not. <laughs> oh. How do you feel about the baby Heather 12-inch? Um, you know, it's part of my past, and uh-huh. I'm fine with it. And it's a little embarrassing, even though I shouldn't be embarrassed by it because it got a nice review in Billboard magazine. So. Yeah, well, for me, it's a nice piece of, you know, 80s sort of dance pop. I, I appreciated it. It wasn't, a, I didn't think, oh, this is an embarrassment. I thought, oh, how nice. It's a nice indie production here. It, yes, it was very, very sweet. And it was, a, it was a hard time for me at that time because I... I hope no one's listening who knows me from back then, but the management, no one's listening. The management <laughs> situation was a little weird, and I was just a kid, yeah. and I, I felt like I was kind of being taken advantage of because I couldn't, you know, speak for myself in a way. Sure. You sure. know, and my mom was really desperate for me. She was like a stage mom. She was really desperate for me to... Um, make it and take care of her when I got rich and famous in my in her old age so that never happened <laughs> um and so it was just huge orchestration of people I felt like kind of using me to do things behind their wives backs and uh you know do things that they wouldn't normally do wow but and I was the front for that so I was like the reason that you know they needed to go to Atlantic City and stay the weekend, you know, and things like that. So, <laughs> and it's because they just wanted to take me to some, you know, award show and show me around. I'm just like, okay. You were, you were just, just along a, for the ride. Yeah, pretty large, much. Large project. Yeah, pretty I much. Imagine that's how it goes. <laughs>
<laughs> well, I think you're, I mean, I, I think your marketing was kind of on, you know, that, that, that sort of, uh, you know, pedophilia yes. kind of thing. Was yeah, there little Heather, those? sweet little baby Heather. Yeah, but yeah. I wasn't. I was like. Hey, what were you like? Were you ex- experienced a teen or were you? Uh... No, I'm not like that, but I was more of a vixen. You know, I tried to dress and look sexy. I wasn't babyish at all or childlike uh-huh. at all. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I dressed in tight clothing and wore half shirts and bras <laughs> with beads all over it. And that was, I mean, it was acceptable back in the 80s to wear half shirts and walk around without anybody even really still acceptable on south street still acceptable around here but when you see somebody even in los angeles i don't i don't expect people to walk around with like half shirts on in the 80s it was all the rage yeah you know so that's what we were doing and (laughs) so baby heather became a, a recording act though yes one time in band camp one time on the sets uh someone came up to me i don't know i don't know how it started anyway they they got in touch they came to visit the dance party usa set saw me and then thought that i would make a good uh artist like like recording artist didn't know if i could sing or not yeah yeah. so then talked to my mother and found out that i could sing and that was like it just took off from there uh Uh, and this guy uh he wrote music and he wrote the entire album I was going to perform and record and we started working on it. It was a huge endeavor. He wanted, he was so into the Beatles, he wanted to do a Beatlesque record where everything, every every verse and every sentence was thought out to have a message. Ambitious. And, <laughs> ambitious, yes. We never finished it. And every song spelled out like something so he was spelling out the message before writing the song and then he was writing songs to fit into the message never finished it <laughs> it sounds like a project born to never be finished yeah born to never be finished we did we i mean I, and i wrote a lot of the stuff yeah. and it was it a lot of it was really good some of it was awful and um i don't have it anymore uh, but so i have some cassette tapes buried somewhere but <laughs> But I mean, this really must have given you confidence as a performer, you know. Actually, that was the the dance part. USA definitely being on television definitely gave me confidence and taught me how to dance. I didn't know how to dance before that. That's how how I learned. <laughs> um, but the recording artist stuff, I felt pretty much like a puppet. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And I. I started to not like that and then I got out of it and a lot of fights ensued and I got sued and <laughs> had to com- had to file for bankruptcy at 18 and yeah uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it was a bad time it was some good times it was some bad times um, and then also at the same time I had an act uh, manager for acting and so her name was Kathy Parker. She's she's in New Jersey still working, I believe. I don't know if she's semi-retired or not. But she she busted her ass to get me work and modeling gigs, and and I and I did. But it was the same thing. Like I could not say no to her. So you have to drop everything and go to this audition in Philadelphia at this time tomorrow. I'm like, okay. You have to drop everything and get on a Greyhound bus tomorrow and go to New York for an audition at at 10 a.m. Okay. So I was back going back and forth from from Philadelphia to New York sometimes three times a week. And people would have, you know, loved to have a manager who was working that hard for you. But it was just the locale that I was in. It was so hard to be a teenager and being, you know, have to take a 90-minute or whatever bus ride to New York 
take a cab, do a five minute audition, and then do the reverse all the way back home three times a week. Because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a place to stay there or anything. And I was scared. Were you alone? Yeah. Would go by myself. Wow. Yeah. Mom was just like, here, here's some mad money. Call me if you have a problem. Take cabs everywhere. You know? (laughs) (laughs) So it was kind of traumatic. And that's why I hate auditions now. I just, I hate them. And that's why now I'm going to school for film and I'm working on being behind the camera uh, and not being in front of the camera, although I miss, kind of miss the acting. Yeah. I mean, you have a few credits. I know you're in a Mannequin. Uh, oh, God. Mannequin 2, isn't it? Yeah, Mannequin, mannequin yeah. 2. <laughs> I don't know why. Everyone laughs and is just like, that's amazing. You shot in Philly? Too. Yeah. We yeah. went down on, South, it was South, right on South Street was yeah. where it was shot. So uh, we went past the old place where the, the, what was the club? It's on the tip of my tongue, the name of the club. Oh, gosh, I can't remember. It was just a good time, fun time to be to be acting in a movie. And I, everyone, I was like right out of Dance Party USA, so I still had my like Dance Party outfits, and I took it to the set and wore. They're like, oh, "That outfit's perfect. We don't need to dress you. You got the perfect wardrobe right here." So yeah. And uh, you're also in Annapolis with uh, James Franco. Yeah, yeah, James Franco and um and Tyrese was in the movie, and Jordana Brewster, which. Funnily enough, I like that word, is in a show right now that I'm working on in Los Angeles. I'm doing uh, post-production work uh, at Warner Brothers. And so she's in, it's Lethal Weapon. It's the new Lethal Weapon series. Did you hear about that? It's a TV series? Yes. And so she's in that series. And uh, so (laughs) it's funny because now it's like full circle. I'm She's yeah. from L.A., came to Philly to do something. I'm from Philly. I'm in L.A. now working, watching their, them, like, edit her stuff. So, crazy. So, you acted. You Then you were involved in burlesque here as well? Yes. I've been doing burlesque since 1998. <laughs> so, started out with the Peekaboo Review before they were the Peekaboo Review. And uh, just kept doing, found, a, found a, a, an art form that I could do anything I wanted on stage. I could be funny. I could be crazy. I could do something odd and bizarre. Or I could be a, do a serious classic striptease. And just found that's like a huge uh, reason. Another huge reason why I am the way I am and who I am. Yeah, it's a real lively cast of characters that, uh, you know, I, I went out to some of the Peekaboo Review shows back uh, There's one tonight that, that I'm going to hit up before we leave tomorrow. Scott that's Johnson. It. Yes. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Those are my family. They really are. They, you know, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, but I don't consider anyone in New Jersey family. It's my Peekaboo Review people are kind of like my home, you know. Yeah. So it was nice to see a lot of them today, and I'll see more tonight. And uh, the, you were working out of that club for a long time, uh, The Five Spot. The Five which, Spot, yes. Yeah. Philip Cohen owns The Five Spot, and... I just want to say condolences to him because his father, Bernie, died last week and they're having a memorial tomorrow that I'm going to miss. Um, and Bernie was like the granddaddy of burlesque. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was Philip's dad and would come to every show with his wife. And they were just like, it was like, oh, Bernie's here. Bernie's here. Get him a good seat. You know, <laughs> so he always came in a suit and a hat, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, 
lots of great memories. And the five spot, they also had the Black Lily scene that was going on there. Yes, with, uh, yes. All the uh, retro or new neo Music, soul that was going yeah. on. Yeah, lots of great times at the five spot. An exciting time in Philadelphia, really. It really was. Yeah. Lots of new um, art coming out and, and artists and musicians and performers. And then the five spot burned down. Yeah. Yeah. That was devastating for us. We're like, what do we do now? Yeah. Yeah. So really something to put a put a period on the end of an era really to, really to did. lose the physical space. Yeah. It really did. And the and they continued on because not just the five spot, but we had like a several kind of a triangle of places that we called home. So North Third restaurant was one, uh, and so was Silk City. Yeah. And so between those five spot and Silk City and North Third we had homes where we could go and do things. And so Silk City got remodeled and they put a stage there. And so we were doing performances there. Also Trocadero was another place that we knew we could go and do shows. And and uh, South Street had a couple of places. What was that club I used to, Solomite used to perform at on South Street? <laughs> on South Street. Was it on South Street? No, like up, up past Ninth, up. Bob and Barbers. It was across the street oh, from sure. Bob and Barbers. Still there. Still things happening. Oh, good, good, yeah. good. Yeah. So, it, what, 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 what were the your your acts like? What, what were some of your favorite my, pieces my, that you did? You know what's funny is I still do some of them of because course. I finally gotten them right. Years never, later. What's her name? She never stopped doing the fan dance. She, no, right. That was her her thing. Well, one of my signature pieces was a, a, a number. Uh, that I did to feel like making love. Uh-huh. Uh, and normally I would, I, I'm like in Los Angeles, I'm the burlesque performer that sings and there's not a lot of those. So that's kind of like when someone needs a singer, I'll sing for them or I'll do an, every, all my numbers I'm singing in, and stripping. Whereas in Peekaboo Review, I did a lot more funny numbers and stripping. And so one of my signature numbers was um, a vibrator act where I would sing, I would dance to feel like making love and then pull when it's like when it, when the words feel like making love to you i'd pull out a very small vibrator out of my my bosom <laughs> and then towards the middle i'd give a little speech like you've always been so good to me i've always loved you but i found another i'm sorry and then i'd go backstage and pull out a huge hitachi magic wand with a big like orange extension cord on it that made a whole lot of noise and i'm like waving it in the air and then People, of course, the crowd. You know, to me, a vibrator is 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 old hat. Uh-huh. But to like re- most regular crowds, they're just like, oh my god, she's got a vibrator, ah! you know. And so people notice when you pull one out on stage, right? It's true. When you pull one out on stage, so that was that was uh, the the signature number, and I finally got it right. So got it down, gotten it down. But we did a whole bunch of like I've not just people review. There was um, revival burlesque, uh, another side kind of project with Anne, Annie Abom and Randy Warhol, and we did that at Walking Fish Theater in Fishtown every Sunday. It's called Sunday Revival. We did like a Andy Warhol theme show, and we did like like all these different kinds of themes and and skits, and it was just a lot of a lot of creativity and a lot of fun uh, and. The difference between here and Los Angeles is here, people get together and rehearse. There are troops, you know, or at least there were. Yeah. I don't know how many there are now, but back then everybody had like their own troop. Whereas in Los Angeles, it's so big and it's so widespread 
that no one has time to rehearse and get together. No one can do it. So there's it's rare one or two troops here or there, but in in Los Angeles, everyone rotates. Yeah. So like we all know the producers, and then they become producers. Like the dancers start off new, and then they they evolve, and then they in, eventually com- become producers. And you're like, I know that such and such sings. I know that such and such does this act. I know such and such does you know uh, a rock and roll number. Like. I'm doing so everyone's on a mailing list and it's yeah. like all right I'm calling for acts for the Halloween show who's got a, a chainsaw number you know we need someone who's going to swallow fire does anyone here do rope tricks or something like call you know so there's a Facebook page there's a mailing list there's like call lists everyone knows each other and we just kind of rotate around from show to show to show with our acts yeah. So it's kind of a huge family in Los Angeles as well. Everyone knows everyone. Um, and it's, it's, I decided when I moved to LA, I was just going to do the same thing over there. Yeah. Do burlesque. Is that what brought, is that what brought you to LA uh, to sort of continue on burlesque or? Are you kidding me? It was the weather. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you look outside right now, it's gray and cloudy and a little gloomy yeah? outside. Yeah. That's that's standard. That's neutral standard, for us, right? This is good weather for you guys, and it's it's a good temperature. It's nice, yeah. but uh, Los Angeles. No matter how depressed you are, if you have a bad day, all you have to do is walk outside, look up, and see beautiful blue, fluffy white clouds yeah. and blue sky, white fluffy white clouds, blue skies, and palm trees. Yeah, yeah. and I'm just like. Oh. And San Francisco a bit as well. The, the change between seasons is so slight yeah. that the time sort of stretches on forever. And it mm-hmm. does give the sense that uh, I've got time to do this yet. Yeah, you know, I mean, you like, be- I, 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 you know, I don't, I get down sometimes. I'm not always happy, but I, can, I just realize how far I've come and, you know, how hard my hard work has gotten me to where I am now. And I'm, I'm like happier now than I've ever been in my entire life. And it, a lot of it has to do with moving to Los Angeles, but also knowing where I came from and, and like really using everything I've learned here on the East coast and taking it with me and, you know, and using that to kind of propel myself forward, knowing everything I've learned here. Yeah. And when I moved out in my twenties, I kind of felt that, uh, that I had a certain Philadelphia energy that was a, you know, a little more, you know, pungent maybe than, than, than <laughs> pungent. what they were used to i love but that it, but, word. It, but it did propel you you know you it could, does yeah yeah and it makes you less afraid than like say if you were coming from maybe the midwest or something Emery, I know you're from the Midwest. He's over there. Midwurst. Emery Emery was a traveling comedian comedian for many, many, many years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Emery, would you like to step up to the mic and say something? Or you just laid down. All right. What? I'm okay. <laughs> well, I, I did want to get to your, your podcast, which is a, well, perfect timing. A fascinating uh, uh, development. You know, there was nothing that, that uh, I saw that led to you becoming a, a podcast star on atheism when you moved out to L.A. And, that, that's uh, all Emery's fault. I, I, Emery and I were flirting while I was still living in, in Philadelphia here. 
Yeah, I was uh, I was sending her fan letters from a stint I was doing in Joliet and uh, the SAR in the rec room. Such she a great dancer. Dance USA, yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's not true at all. I, uh, uh, yeah, we, we, we met online and started uh, – it's funny. We were just kind of flirting, and then she started talking to me because I had posted this rant, this hate – for Mother Teresa, who's not a saint. Yeah, uh, there's some not, very questionable elements to she's her. She's not uh, a saint in the literal fable. sense because saints don't exist, but she's also not a saint in the uh, colloquial sense because she was a vile human being. And the things she did weren't good. They were awful, what she did. She, 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 and, and so I had gone after Mother Teresa, and somehow that reached Heather's loins, and she started flirting with me. <laughs> Well, that titillates a very certain kind of woman. You know, I, I'm, I, I was becoming an atheist. I was starting to really come out. You know, and both of you had sort of religious backgrounds. Yes. Uh, you, 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 yes. you were your lives were touched by religion before this happened. Well, the funny thing is, I met Pendulette first online on Facebook, and we became friends, which is another funny story. And then after he friended me, and I was talking to him, I saw I got a load of Emery. And I was like, who's this? You know, <laughs> he hates Mother Teresa. He's my kind of guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been working for, with Penn for years. And so she, we were connected through that connection and then online. And then she starts talking to me and, and she's kind of showing an interest. And it's pretty obvious I'm getting flirted with. And, and, I, and, I, no. and I said to her, which is rare for me for the record. So that's the other thing. I'm like, ah, damn it. She's all the way over in Philadelphia. And I go... I actually, one day I remember saying to her, listen, I, I, you're in Philadelphia, I'm in Los Angeles, I'm really not interested in a long distance thing. And she, if I remember this right, I think this is right, I remember this right. She said, well, actually, I'm thinking about moving to L.A. No, not a thinking, I'm going to move to L.A. In a couple of months. Yeah, in a couple of months. And I said, what are you wearing? <laughs> um, so let the, let the flirting begin. <laughs> And so that's that's how that happened. And then when I got here, you know, I finally got settled in a little bit. Struggle. I mean, I'm one of those people that just pack a couple of bags and go. I sold my childhood home. Uh, you know, I was living in Philly for for uh, five years. I was done. I was done with the weather. I was ready to go. And I would. And most people go, "Oh, you came here because you're an actor, or an actress." And I go, eh, "I came here because there was a freaking sunshine and palm trees. I wanted the sunshine." So. It took a little while for me to settle in. And then Emery said, I've had this idea for a really long time. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I've been wanting to do a podcast forever uh, about atheism. And uh, I had, at the time, I had a girlfriend who was an atheist. But she just kept resisting the idea of doing this with me. And we never really lit it up. We never did it. And I mean years. I was like, yeah. why aren't we doing this? And she kept resisting. And then when I met Heather... And I mentioned it. She's like, God damn, yeah, let's get on this shit. <laughs> and so that Heather Heather was the reason that I finally kicked it off and decided, let's do this. Yeah. So. And, and you've been at a conference this, this uh, weekend about, about atheism and humanism. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what's, what's, the, what's the word? What's the latest? What's come down from up, up high? With well, the, here's the latest. Guess atheism. what? It's kind of amazing, and a lot of people can't believe it. <laughs> There's no God. <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of good news, but... Yeah, we went to Pastacon is what it's called, and it's the P Pennsylvania Atheist, Atheist and Humanist uh, conference. conference, yeah. And they push a bunch of letters together and turn it into Pastacon. Mm -hmm. um, there's no pasta. 
Oddly, I was disappointed. <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. What was up with that? There should be pasta at PastaCon. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. So, uh, <laughs> but we did our a live podcast uh, taping at PastaCon, and um, uh, also took place. It uh, took part in and played roles in a really cool party that kicked it off uh, called the. Trick- Frigatrickadescophobia. Frigatrickadescophobia. Yeah, that's it. Friga, 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 party. Friday the 13th, 13th party. party. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that party kicked off the conference, and it was like a great party that just basically featured everything that people are, you know, are... F- what if it's a superstition, superstitions, it yeah. covers it. Superstitions are bullshit. You don't have to show throw salt over your shoulder when you spill some. Uh, there, 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 there is no such thing as a full moon that causes things to happen. It doesn't have influence. All of these non-fact bullshit things that we believe in are kind of highlighted and made fun of. We had in a that. ladder limbo. And so we were giving out prizes for the best ladder limbo. Some people were doing like backflips and some girl did a split underneath and slid on through and she did the splits. Yeah, it was. was, Yeah, it was very winning. She was in a skirt. And (laughs) then um, uh, bowling, bowling for leprechauns or some weird shit. Like, I don't even know what that's about. But and we broke a mirror. You know, the whole nine. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and so I was... Funny. After we broke the mirror, uh, my character is this doctor guy, and I'm pushing the trash can back over to the corner, and I trip to fall thinking that's hilarious. And everybody's like, oh, my God, the guy fell down. I'm like, God damn it. And he had, a, in his pocket, he had a stuffed cat, and we were doing cat scans. Scans on people. So that was a lot of fun, and uh, that kicked it's, off the part. That kicked off the conference. It's interesting, and, and somewhat, of, somewhat of a natural connection, I guess, but the, you've gone from sort of both discussing atheism and discussing um, – Sort of uh, like psychic chicanery and that kind of Skepticism, thing as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I like the word bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. And yeah. I guess that, I it guess the, the Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller's know, bullshit. It's a great name for that show. Well, not only art and atheists. Uh, we like maybe a year later we started another podcast called Skeptically Yours. Yeah. So we were holding down a podcast a week, two podcasts. Yeah, yeah. A week, and we were booking three guests twice a week and some for fascinating each show. Guests yeah. over. I mean, you had uh, Richard Dawkins on, and yeah, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah. uh, and a and a bunch of great comedians. I was excited to hear Dave Foley on. Uh, Dave on Foley show. was yeah. on the show. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> yeah. Who else? We've had some great people, right, Emery? I was on it once. I did that show. <laughs> I was on that show. What what what, what, do, what do, you know? The guests kind of bring to it when when when. Uh, they come on to discuss uh, their atheism. Well, I, they're not always atheists. Oh, really? So basically, not. it's a very humor, humorous, lighthearted. Sometimes we press, you know, if they're friends of ours, we might press them a little bit. But when I had Mark Marin, when I had Mark Marin come on the show, I mean, that guy's an atheist. Yeah, but he hates atheists. Uh-huh. You know I hear I mean? a lot of people. I hear a lot of people that that, that they'll uh, equate the two. Like, oh, people that are atheists are just as bad as people who are devoutly religious. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I'm not, not sure if that balances out. Well, I, I don't yeah. know a single atheist who has institutionally raped boys. So, fuck off with that. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. that's not true. It's hard to do more to discredit your institution than say you've you know uh, yeah. systematically harbored child molesters over you know decades or yeah. centuries. Yeah, you know? yeah I, I think religion kind of holds the the record. 
Yeah, the gold star for that kind of crap. And you can't say we're like religion uh, uh, and be accurate. Or when that, when you can, you can certainly say that we're as ardent as some religious people. You can see it tattooed on her chest. It's true. We are ardent atheists. But um, he has his tattoo on his penis. Yeah, it just says AA. Um, <laughs> but it, it gets harder. It says ardent atheist. <laughs> the joke is when it gets harder, it says ard. Ard. <laughs> um, um, but one of the th- the people we had on our podcast, his name is Hemet, Hemet, Hemet Meta. Meta. He, one of the discussions he, one of the things he talked about in his talk was that you know, a Christian people or people in religions have a a, a community to go to, uh, like their churches will have babysitters. You yeah. know, they if someone's in trouble, they have a community that will reach out and help them. Whereas atheists. You know, we don't have a place that we go once a week, or if we do, it's maybe it's once a month, and it's usually to a bar to drink. You know what I mean? So, like, how do we, how do we form our own community that will actually help each other out? And if you if you try to convert someone who's a believer, it's more than just saying give up your God. It's saying give up your community, give up your family, yeah. give up those people that have been by your side your whole entire life since you were a baby. You know, who were there to raise you. And, you know, who have donated to your home when things were bad and who, you know, those people you could turn to give up everything. So that's some people. So it's like really hard to sometimes get people to leave that community. I was just I was just thinking the day of like, you know, my own my parents were surprisingly not too taken with religion. My mother tells a story often that uh, when uh, I think I was born. Uh, the, the preacher came to see her in the hospital and at the bedstand next to her were crime magazines which were the woman next to hers and the next day in church he said I went to visit a woman who just had a baby and she was reading filthy crime magazines oh my god <laughs> and uh, that was at the end of uh, going to church for me but I, I or, or for, for the family kind of but uh, I went w- with uh, a friend who they had a, a, a youth group and they used to go roller skating all the time and I thought like oh that's a, was the pull in you know I could go yeah. roller skating and okay you had to sit and listen to him pray in the middle for a but little then while roller skating and candy but then and roller skating and, dogs, yeah. and, and to join a church in a way is you know is to join a sort of powerful organization and there are some you know positive things of 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 connecting with the community in that way but the fact that it's all under the idea that i am closer to the creator of the universe than you is a it's a tough one to swallow well there is an atheist church. Uh-huh. Have you? What's the name of it? Sunday Assembly. Sunday Assembly. It's an atheist church that don't like to call them atheists. They don't like to throw the A word around because they're afraid that people will be turned off by that, I believe. Yeah. But they do the same exact thing that church does. They go through the whole, you know, stand up and shake your neighbor's hand. They sing songs. They have people come in and give talks. Um, but they aren't religious and no what's no no god yeah. if there were, if there was a religious thing i was attracted to sort of you know today uh, it is more sort of the quaker meeting thing of that like bringing people together and discussing what you want to discuss like right. that seems like a really great thing you know well th- that's what that's what the like the Posticon that we went to the conventions i think they feel that desire and that need you know yeah. if you want what religion what most people really like about religion 
is the uh, is the endorphin rush that you get when you believe that you've connected with something magical, and you can get that by going and seeing a great musical artist or a lot of various kinds of artists will give you that. Absolutely. And you can get community in those places as well. That's why it bothers me that we need a place like Sunday Assembly where people do the same processes that they used to do when they went to church. I I, I don't need I like it. it. I know. I I don't I don't I I think it's dumb, but I, I think it's glad that somebody. I'm glad that there's someone that gives them that. I I also think it's unnecessary i i that was what i didn't like about church yeah i hated that i felt trapped uh-huh. you know gotta go in there and sit down and listen to somebody talk and then they made you sing a song and then you had to talk to somebody who was next to you i don't want to talk to these people <laughs> right, right. you know what I mean? but also, when you go to a place like sunday assembly the thing i that feels uncomfortable for me is it feels like continuing indoctrination only in another direction yeah uh, uh, and, and it's weird for me to say that because i'm I'm, I, I, it took me many years to recognize that that's what I was seeing, you know? Yeah. Um, it's interesting when you see people complain about the, 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 the religions get a hold of kids and indoctrinate them very early. And, and that's a problem from the atheist perspective. We shouldn't be seeing that. Yeah. Uh, what we got to do is we got to get to the kids before the religions do. And do what? Indoctrinate them early. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, but it's, yeah. the, it's, it's the fact is they're indoctrinating with facts. They're indoctrinating with science as opposed to bullshit. I don't, wouldn't even say that. I would say that it'd be better if schools started teaching critical thinking from the womb. You know, like from, from kindergarten, critical thinking. Keep think- the schools out of my womb. <laughs> but yeah, just teach critical thinking early on. Teach I, them I, to think. I don't make any... Any any claims of uh, you know breeding geniuses or anything, but but one thing I did as a as, as a father at a young age was he would ask me questions and I would often give him like a I, I would almost always give him like two or three answers and have him guess the one that's wrong like no that's not right and you know I, I got him to sort of question me as I taught him things that's and talk to things rather than great. just tell him you question know? authority and you know know that you can do that and be, be okay I I grew up not knowing that I could do that. I think working, you know, I think both of us grew up in pretty steady working class, you know, uh, yeah. uh, households. And as a working class, you're really taught, you know, to take orders and learn how to be a worker. And, and don't ask for anything. Yeah, and Just, accept authority, yep, you know, authoritarian yep. uh, schemes. Yep. Uh, but it's uh, you earlier <laughs> dropped on the point of uh, music as being uh, uh, and, and religion. And, and I've sort of made that connection myself. I'm, you know, obsessed with music. Uh, but I think what I'm looking for... I wish and, the viewers and, could see your apartment. <laughs> Um, Listeners. uh, But for me, it really is about, I I think I'm seeking that same sort of thing that people seek in religion. Like I want to be part of, feel part of something bigger. And to really, to be intimately in a nonverbal way connecting with somebody's thoughts. Like, you know, you you get to know how somebody thinks and that's a profound thing and it makes you, takes you out of your your own experience, you know. And for me, like that's a religious. It can be very emotionally fulfilling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all all the arts really do once you you know, decode them and crack them or whatever. Yeah, right, right. Um, right. But yeah, I was, a, I was an obsessed Ellington fan for years, still uh-huh. a pretty big fan, but like I started having dreams where, you know, but it was really because I was spending so much time in his nonverbal wow. mindset yeah. that, he, that he, you know, he did like, that is like a concrete way in which somebody's spirit really does live on because I, I knew a lot about how this man thought because I, you know, obsessed over it. Yes, <laughs> it was the same way with Prince. And you know, it's funny, I... Once, we should talk about Prince a little bit. Once Prince, Prince be- fan too. yeah. Well, once Prince became a Jehovah's Witness, I got kind of turned off yeah. because it's it's almost like you know, 
being someone who was super open sexually and super okay with being himself and wanted the world to accept him as he was to going total opposite direction and like buttoning your collar up and kind of seeming I don't know I don't know him personally seeming like kind of seemingly shaming the way he was or being ashamed of that yeah I think I think he did sort of take a different tact on sexuality sort of uh, in that later part of his career but then all of his songs started turning turning about God and then I just got turned off by the whole thing and then you know not wanting to being in a, a religion where you would refuse medical care you know what I mean? You know, if you he needed a blood transfusion or he needed a new uh, hip or a kidney or something, he needed something and he refused it, and that also, you know, led him to take medication, yeah. lots of medication, and then ultimately die. I think. Yeah, I mean, there is a narrative that really says religion killed Prince. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I got turned off when he became a Jehovah's Witness, and he also became uh, like someone who believed in chemtrails and and like the government poisoning you know african-american children and at, stuff at a like certain that. point i think you know i i like prince because he doesn't think like me he's not like me and yeah. so these are you know real signs that he's not like me i would never think those things but yeah it was it was i was saddened by the whole thing because i really 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 loved him but then his music kind of changed too and i didn't like the direction it was going like right around the batman movie me that's too. when it started that's kind the, of going into this weird direction that I was like, what am I listening to? That's the first time I really felt like, ah, this doesn't deliver. The Batman soundtrack was a big yeah. thing for me. However, in the last couple of years of his life, I was really taken by a lot of recordings he made. Uh, There's a, a Hit and Run Part 2 and like a couple of those I records. I stopped listening, uh, to be truthful. Mm, I stopped listening. I should play some stuff after we were finished up here because, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he uh, really... Uh, I, I think a lot of artists sort of hit that that middle age point where they they take their their talent for granted, but then as their energies wane, they're like, no, I really have to focus all my talents to really deliver. And I kind of feel like he might have been headed in the in that uh, a real rebirth at that end. When, I, when the last him. time I saw him live was I guess it was twenty eight nights or twenty eight days or whatever. It was a con- it was a concert that he did like in a month a month every day he was performing or something like that. I I, I, I I don't quote me on any of this. What year but might this have been? I was in Los Angeles, so this was within the last seven years, and I was excited because I saw, I got there, and I saw a grand piano on the stage, and I was like, oh, he's going to play piano. I love when he plays piano. It's so beautiful. He, I guess, was towards the end of that run, and he was tired or, or in pain or hurting. He he was not on stage a lot. He That's when he had brought in, you know, like Sheila E. back in um, and uh, was the bass player that he... Graham. Yes, yes. Larry Graham was there. Shaka Khan was there. And so I got to see them perform, but then he wasn't on the stage that much. So he finally gets up and walks over to the piano. And I'm like, yes, he's going to the piano. He opens it up. He takes his finger and puts it up in the air. And then he presses a key and out comes pre-recorded the hits. You know, <laughs> like like one verse of, of uh, uh, 1999 and one verse of, you know, something else. And I just was like, oh, man, it's over. 
It's over. I He's not good playing anymore. I know some of the shows at the end. And he did do a, a whole series at the piano. I know that. He, I, that I guess was his, you know his, his hips were in such bad yeah, shape. Yeah, that's and I to, and I give him that. Like I'm yeah. not saying that that you know he should have been able. He should have been able like to entertain he, it me. It wasn't like he did a long version of How Come You Don't Call Me anymore. Right. He he really know? he. That's why I think of, I think he was having a really hard time at that point in time, and he was just like giving leaving it up to everybody else to take it you know do what he couldn't do and but if he could have just sat at the piano and played one song i would have been really happy and he didn't he didn't play a song not one at the piano so uh, i was just i was saddened and that was the last time i saw him so that's what happens though i mean when you're a super hip dude like that that's what's going to go out on you yeah Yeah. how many how many splits did he bang out oh my gosh amazing amazing dancer amazing at everything he he you know, tried to do. I recently hosted a uh, a screening of the uh, Sign of the Times concert film. I love that. Oh, I had yeah. I listened to that on cassette tape. Over oh, really? And over. I could sing that whole concert. Seeing it projected big, the, you oh. know, was uh, was moving. Under the cherry moon. <laughs> Under the cherry moon. <laughs> Under the graffiti moon bridge. <laughs> That's when he decided that after Purple Rain, everybody wanted to see a, a black and white period piece in, in I, Paris. I liked it. That was one of my... I saw that in the freaking theaters when it came out. I need to go back to it. I have a copy nearby. I it's was, awful. It's just awful. But <laughs> it's just awful. And, and it's such a failed attempt to be cool is all it is. And I'm sorry, but and, there were some signature scenes in that. No question. No awful. question. One of my favorite records of his, too. That yeah, parade album. Parade, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that could have been phenomenal what they were doing there. but it, it, they He were probably too, shouldn't have directed. He was way too full of himself. And he's crazy. He's batshit. That's what you got to understand about Prince. He's batshit out of his fucking mind crazy. What's that actor's there, name? Okay, you're, you're thinking of the story. This is a great story. You can go find an interview somewhere uh, with YouTube. Kevin Smith yeah. talking Kevin. about doing a film for Prince. That's all you need to know to find it on Google. You're smart enough to go from here. Kevin Take Smith it. and Prince. Kevin yeah. Smith tells the story about working story. for Prince. Prince hires him to, to do a doc. Maybe the thing. greatest thing Kevin Smith ever did is that little monologue. And you there. know it, right? Yeah, I do. It's an amazing story. What you do is you pour a little tea, you get some... Uh, hand lotion take your penis out and sit down and listen to this it is something to masturbate and sip tea to it is amazing and it tells you everything you need to know about prince yeah. and kevin smith artists today really have that sort of mystique where I feel like you know way too much about most people you know there, no there wasn't a lot really known about what was going on privately with Prince around and then time. Michael Jackson and now they're both dead right yeah. right 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 yeah well we know secrets about Pendulette that we can't talk about till he's passed so that's all I'm going to say on that <laughs> how is he to work with he's I mean, awesome you're, you're he's guys great are, yeah he's one of the nicest guys in the world he's he's when he lost all that weight he was getting kind of grumpy before he lost the weight. He really was. And, and you'd be like, you'd hang out with him and or, and or work with him and, and be like, man, why is he so snippy? Why is he getting so grumpy, you know? Because he was As, unhealthy. It's because he didn't feel good. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't realize it. He didn't know it and he didn't realize he didn't recognize it. And, and now he's lost all that weight. And he's ironically a jolly guy. It's amazing how, how pleasant and fun and sweet and awesome he has become because he doesn't have this bearing down on him anymore. I'm not 
trying to make puns. I'm serious. It was. It's hard to carry around those kinds of issues that he yes. had. You know, blood pressure and weight and all of that, and the discomfort that comes with it. I had it too. Heather had it. We both lost sixty plus pounds. I, I'm. I'm. I'm so. standing as as the weightiest person in this room. Yeah, I'm sure well, I can not, accept a little of this. You're, you're not a fat guy as as we had been, and he he was. So. Yeah. But he's he's awesome. He's really awesome. I'm joking when I say there are stories to tell. There are stories to tell, but they're not awful. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I enjoyed him on Mark Marin, and he talked about uh, working on the street on South Street, just like Heather did, uh-huh. actually doing magic. But he was making thousands of dollars in the yeah. weekend, you know, in cash. If I had learned to play an instrument, I would probably have done a lot of street singing. But I, you know, I just don't want to go out with a boombox. They do they make those anymore? I don't want to go out with you know a karaoke machine and sing karaoke songs, and so. Yeah, if I, if I, you know, I think my, you know, obsession with music and doing radio shows and all is sort of like the frustrated musician. If I could play this music, then right. maybe I'll just promote my own music. But instead, I, I play. obsessively promote everybody else. Yeah, because, I mean, there's lots of great songs. I mean, I don't need to write anything. Shit, there's so many good songs out there. I'll just sing those. Right? Someone brought you a song they wrote and you did. I thought it was pretty cool. Which one was that? How Much You Hate Christmas. Oh, God. Everyone's always trying to embarrass me. I end up doing these weird projects. So, a little, so what is this song about how much you hate Christmas? I myself, a bit of a, a scrooge about Christmas You myself. can find it on YouTube. It's <laughs> called I Can't Wait for Christmas to Be Over. And it just, it's a, it's it's a very cheesy kind of jazzy song. And I'm singing about how I just can't wait because it's awful. And, you know, cats puking up the tinsel and or shitting the tinsel out and... Kids are screaming and crying for presents. I don't have kids, but in the song I do. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's also uh, autobiographical. Every time Christmas rolls around, <laughs> I start sorry. getting video on my phone from Heather standing in a grocery store as shitty religious music is piped down <laughs> upon her, and she just looks into the camera and gr- just just grimaces, grimaces and then points the camera up at the speaker. Then you realize, oh yeah, I'm listening to shitty. Christian music and she's like why why is this happening click <laughs> that, that's if there weren't Christmas music I think I would enjoy Christmas a little bit better yeah just can't I can't I handle those some of the worst arguments with my family like ching, going ching, on ching, 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 ching. Christmas is here Christmas is here buy all the toys <laughs> people giving me gifts as a kid like that I you know had didn't want it all and just feeling like oh that was wasteful you know <laughs> If I had a child, it'd be different. As a matter of fact, one of my best friends who lives here in Philadelphia that we're going to go visit soon uh, tonight, one year she had moved into an apartment and she was living by herself and I had gone, snuck into the apartment and decorated the entire house and brought her a Christmas tree and bought all the, the, you know... And I, because I knew she loved Christmas and it was her first time in an apartment by herself and I was just like, surprise! She was like, oh... (laughs) Thanks. And I'm like, God, oh, never mind. That just make me hate Christmas more. Uh, I married a, a, a Jewish woman, and so I kind of feel like the the onus is off me a little oh, bit. Good. Like, yeah, you know, the, the, he's had a Hanukkah. He doesn't need right. much of a Christmas. But we, we do do a little bit of Christmas, but uh, I'm, I'm sure people would be horrified at how undecorated our place is during Maybe the you holidays. Could call it Christless. Christless. <laughs> Christless yeah. Yes. And as soon as Halloween is over, the Christmas music starts. Yeah. I am uh, not looking forward to it. No. Stop it.
Stop it. Sorry. Uh, I, I, the, the, the thing I've most enjoyed about Christmas recently is discovering um, really low-budget Mexican uh, Christmas films that were made, like, in the 60s, you know? Like, really? Yeah, I yeah. I can totally there's... see you sitting back watching that <laughs> for Christmas. There's one about, there's one about the, uh, the Santa getting stuck uh, in, like, Florida. I think they shot it, like, in the south. And uh, the whole thing is him like stuck in his in his sleigh, and it's it's was made very cheaply. <laughs> and, Sounds like my kind of movie. And he tells three stories, and they and they cut in like three films that were shot by somebody else that they sort of pasted <laughs> together to make a film. And then like, oh, someone's come to save me. In the last scene, the the Easter Bunny comes in a fire truck and waves, and he rescues Santa, and it's the end. And you know, wow. about twenty five thousand dollars was probably gone. And, and Trump wants to build a wall. <laughs> That's so wrong. He did come. He did come around this week to uh, to talk about uh, that. He's gonna. This is gonna be a, a Merry Christmas uh, time. Oh it's right. Not gonna be a right. Happy holidays. No happy. Time. No happy holidays. It's because of all Merry the problems Christmas. this country is, is facing, how we greet each other for the holidays is probably one of the it's most number pressing. one. Yeah. It's number one. What's that asshole's name? That preacher who yeah, Trump. It's Donald Trump <laughs> no, would be no, the yeah, asshole. Yeah, he's one of the assholes. But yeah. that guy who was like. But Firestorm. There's a Christian idiot who once who's an online evangelical jagoff, and a couple seasons ago he lost his mind. Fierstein. Not Harvey though. No. But it may as well be. Eventually we'll find out. But he's this Christian evangelical jagoff on YouTube that makes these videos, and he went nuts because they didn't say Merry Christmas on the Starbucks, on the Starbucks cups. cups. Uh, uh, they said Happy yeah. Holidays, and they said things that were more inclusive and uh, and non-specific to his uh, ignorant belief retardation. <laughs> and and so they, you know, some some gossip news site got a hold of that and made it a big thing. And so, yeah. you know, he's got all these. Firebrand videos where he's screaming about boycotting, uh, <laughs> boycotting my favorite coffee shop, Starbucks. Uh, and so we, in return, went around pointing at everything and going, "Why doesn't this say Merry Christmas on it?" Here's like a, here's like a, you know, someone shoot. Why doesn't it say Merry Christmas on it? <laughs> the other thing is they have all kinds of Merry Christmas stuff in Starbucks. Yeah. It was a lie. That's the other thing. There's like gift cards. And there's and cups. There cups, cups you, you know. It just so happened that the little red cups didn't say it that year. Yeah. Yeah. So. And somebody, I think somebody had it, saw some memes of some very pithy uh, Bible quotes about, you know, hellstone and fire or whatever yes. being brought down on people in their Starbucks cups. Yeah, that's yeah. all of this year. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah, the one about the emission of, do- of donkeys. And, <laughs> uh, that's in the Bible. You can actually read about do- donkey cum in the Bible. That's okay. Ew. You didn't know that? Yeah, I knew about that. Okay. Of course I knew about that. I'll read it to you when we get home. I probably read more of the Bible than most Christians I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm an atheist. So Emery's talking about going home, and and Heather's looking at her watch. Uh, do you guys? I look any- at my watch because I have <laughs> an iWatch, and it's every time someone texts me on my phone, I've got a, like three phone calls coming in, and yeah. I'm like looking at my watch every time. The I'm- Apple Watch is one of the worst inventions ever, and we both have <laughs> one. It reminds you that you're supposed to stand up. It reminds you you're supposed to breathe, and it lets you know every time something happens on your phone. And so you're constantly, and everybody's offended. Everybody's like, "Are you? Do you need to go?" 
I know. No, that's why no, I was like, no, I, I'm not. I'm not looking at my watch because of this. I'm looking because I can't help it. I I can't. I can't help but it's look at it. Vibrating and telling me that somebody wants to talk to me over there, and I'll talk to them when I'm done here. But relax, it's really a drag. I, I in really general a... don't carry a phone at all. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, somebody, uh, um, another mother at school said like, that's suspicious. Some girl, it's a really funny video of this girl sitting with her friends drinking coffee and she's talking about this new boyfriend. Oh, yes. Right? Yes, I just who, posted that video. Who doesn't have a Facebook account. Oh, yeah. And then her and her friends start looking him up and they're like, how do we find out who he's dated before? Um, <laughs> this guy does, he's off the grid and they're losing their minds because like, this guy doesn't have a Facebook like, account. who is he? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, how, how do you, he, maybe he's catfishing you in reverse. <laughs> how do you know he's even real? He walks up, hey girls. Oh. <laughs> he's real, he's real. Phew. It's a funny video. One of, one of the many uh, little jokes I had going with my kid walking around town was as soon as you got past people, you know, it would be like, you know, uh, get off your phone you know it would be like you know seven or eight in a row get off your phone get off your phone get off your phone and just... then the punchline would always be somebody coming by not on their phone and saying why aren't you on your phone yeah, right. <laughs> yeah we're both and we're both pro we're both pro phone and and pro, pro social boner. pro social networking and yeah. we can go out to dinner with friends and not feel like we have to go what are you looking at your phone for because the phone is a tool you gotta to accept it now yeah you know, yeah, uh, yeah we're in that we're in that group. We're fine with that. We're fine either way. We're comfortable either way. Yeah. I do notice that, like, I, I as, a, like, an obsessive geek about music and film, like, I digested and, and meditated over that Leonard Malton book and, you know, the Billboard Top 100 books or whatever. I obsessed over those things. And so a lot of that stuff is still, like, hanging around in my brain. But younger people now, like, you know, they look up everything on their phone and mm-hmm. it sort of makes me wonder, like, well, how do you pull from that information in ways it's, that... Our brains are changing to... Yeah. to to, um, work with the technology and and our brains are moving faster than the technology is and we're not well is it the other way around we're not be able, able to catch up or it's, a, it's, a, it's in the middle I mean, yeah we're, we're being pulled forward in terms of processing uh, to a to a place that's going to be Pretty amazing over time. Yeah. faster processing I, of I information. Do, I, I wonder, though, too, because I talk to a lot of uh, teachers, and I teach a little bit, and a lot of them, you know, sort of in uh, their own subjective, you know, studies, they, they think that there's this generation that can't concentrate anymore. Bullshit. Uh, well, I just think it's bullshit. Okay, but yeah, uh, I I was accused of it too because I was a hyper kid. So you can find these anecdotal examples of this thing that you believe, right? That that sure. that this generation Z has got this problem. Let me Gener- check my phone. I'll be right back. <laughs> you, the, the, uh, uh, it's all bullshit. They do it every single generation. They did it when you and I were kids, and they continue to it uh-huh. continues to go back. They just point to the current thing. In fact, when you and I were kids, I'm 53. I don't know how close 52. you are to me. So when we were kids, they pointed to the TV, they pointed to the mm-hmm. games we played, they pointed to our records, and we would go into our room, we would play these records on a record player, and the generation before that, um, they claimed, there was a time when they claimed that magazines and books were doing this to people. Well, I, I have heard that books really did rewire people's brains. Well, would they, they, they the do, but not... The incredible surge in the vocabulary that came with the printing press that, 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 that well, ordinary there, people had. That there's was, truth was in that, but they were coming from extreme ignorance, and that's a big difference. I mean, yeah. when you consider the when you consider the 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 place everybody was, 
and then what what books brought to us uh, uh, that's that's a profound change based on where we were not necessarily completely based on this new technology right uh-huh. but I think the same is true about the internet for example you've got more than one answer to any question on the internet yeah. so as a result by default kids are having to figure out how to critically uh, analyze mm-hmm. now when you critically analyze that doesn't mean you're going to always get the right answer it, it means that you are using a tool that's important though yeah. And step one is to teach people and see people learn how to think critically and understand that they have to make a choice between option A and option B and, and, and figure that out, right? Yeah. Uh, and biases play a role in where you land and all of that. But when, I, when you and I were kids, there was only one answer to any real major uh, scholastic question. The it, encyclopedia. And, and, and it, was, it was in the encyclopedia. And it was often wrong. And, right. We didn't, we didn't have other options to go see if, there, if that was true about this particular tarantula in South America, right? Is there a bigger one? Is there something? Did they get something wrong? Uh, and in National the Geographic magazine. Yeah, and in the late '60s, when they started injecting misinformation about religion. Well, that's sort of my feeling about Wikipedia. People complain about Wikipedia as maybe not being, uh, you know, dependable. But I like the fact that in Wikipedia, that if there's an argument about a fact, you can go and find that argument and see what what they're discussing, what the ambiguity is. Right. You know, well, in the, a way that the book, it's you know, concrete. Right. And, and you the don't thing have about it. Wikipedia, yeah, sure. You know, maybe some places don't want you to quote Wikipedia if you're writing a college paper or something like that. But you can look at the references for yourself and go dig deeper for yourself. You don't have to just believe the writer of the Wikipedia page. They, you have, in order to get a Wikipedia page published, you have to cite everything. Yeah. Everything has to have a source cited. And, and to get a, one published, you have to somehow convince somebody who has no sex with women to write it. <laughs> it could be a woman, so maybe she doesn't but, have but, sex but with I was women. Gonna, my, 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 my worry about the, the electronic age is the really the, sort of that end of boredom that like there's always that you can always get your brain to, to give off that pleasure drug that's it in is. your brain or whatever because there's always, there's always a is. dancing panda available all the time. Cats. And, and uh, I worry that the, the sort of downtime, you know, is getting smaller and smaller. And what my wife is saying is an art teacher, that is something that she's noticed over teaching for 25, 30 years, is that uh, projects have to be less and less uh, steps now. That the, 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 They'll bail before getting to the end of the steps. Like, I'm bored with this now. And she kind of feels, and uh, I've heard other teachers sort of talk about, they feel that the attention span is, is may be withering in this time. Yeah, yeah. And when I hear that, I was a kid that had the attention span problem they gave me Ritalin and what they weren't doing was they weren't engaging me properly I would argue that what your wife is experiencing is an increase in intelligence and we need the the system needs to adjust uh, uh, to be able to accommodate those minds they needed to accommodate my mind and they didn't know how to so they just gave me Ritalin to dumb me down and I think that's the problem I don't think I don't think the kids are the problem I think the system is and I'm not trying to attack your wife. I'm, I am attacking the system that she's part of. Yeah. You know what I mean? figure out some ways to catch up. Like when computers first came into schools, kids were excited. It was a whole brand new way of learning and it was intriguing to us. And now, you know, it, it's kind of, he's right. They have to catch catch up to the yeah. kids' brains that are moving so quickly. Well, part of the problem with the school system is it hasn't been rethought of in right. 100 years. Yeah, you know? it's a really well, shitty actually, system. It, it has been in many places, and we need to look at those places. And I'm talking about places oh, like yeah. Finland and Sweden Absolutely, and Norway. Yeah. They're doing really amazing work there. Uh-huh. And we need to start, we need to catch up to them and figure out how to use yeah. those ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we could go on forever about this. <laughs> I can keep them talking. I know. I was always a good first date. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
well, that's good. On OkCupid, it says, you know, would you rather uh, have have nothing to talk about? Like, would be worse having nothing to talk about or no attraction? And I always go nothing to talk about. Yeah. Oral C- sex? That wasn't an option. No, it wasn't an option. <laughs> question. question. You gotta ask the right question. <sighs> So what, what projects do you guys have uh, brewing right now? What's going on? I'm here? just in school and working my ass off What are you right now. going to school for? I'm going to school for film. Huh. You know, Where our, at? Uh, at? The Art Institute uh-huh. in Hollywood, in North mm-hmm. Hollywood. And it's so funny because the reason why I picked the Art Institute, uh, there are a couple of reasons. One, it was geographically desirable, very close to where I live. And um, in fact, I've walked home from there before. And the Art Institute is something I know from living in Philadelphia because on Broad Street, is it? Mm -hmm. The huge Art Institute. I just remembered that. And so when I saw the name, you know, driving by, I'm like, oh yeah, I should go there. That's really all it was. And I saw that they had a nice film program and it's a small school, which means more uh, time dedicated to personal Mm one-on-one with the teachers. What skills are you learning there? Everything from uh, pre-production to production to post-production. I'm learning how to light sets. I'm learning how to design, do film design. Um, I'm learning about the history. Uh, Gosh, I'm now taking a commercial class. And so I'm pitching commercials and and making commercials. So just a little bit of everything. And the best part about it is since it's in Los Angeles and very close to Hollywood, I'm learning from people who already work in the business there. And that's where it all is. And so I'm going straight from a place where, you know, I'm working alongside people who've already worked in film to, you know, working on the sets and working and knowing exactly how to do the things correctly and what to look for and what to not to do. And, you know, uh, so it's much better. It's like if I came, if I did film school here and then moved to LA, it would be a completely different kind of situation. I probably would be lost because uh, just things are done differently here. And, that's, that's and Heather uh, wouldn't probably brag, but I will. She just got her first um, job at Warner Brothers, at a paid internship in production there. Post-production? Post-production. Post-production TV stuff. And working and on so the Lethal Weapon TV show, I guess. Yeah. And, and you're always busy, uh, Emery, uh, in, in production as well. From, I am. Yeah. 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 Just finished a project with Penn. It's called Gambler's Ballad. And uh, uh, I'm not a superstitious guy in any way, shape, or form. But I'm not going to talk about where it might go because we don't have a sealed deal yet. Yeah. And it's not about superstition, as many people do. No, it's right. about Hollywood. Uh, it's about act. not, yeah, right. it's yeah. about not saying I have a sale until I have a goddamn sale, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it looks like we're going to get that somewhere, and I'm excited about and that. And what's this project about? It's, it's about-, about Johnny Thompson, and Johnny Thompson is the premier magic mind on the surface of this globe as we speak and he's been working with alongside uh, Penn and Teller Uh, they've paid him a salary I think since the beginning of their careers he is one of the greatest magic minds in in, in magic and he helps them develop everything if they did something on television Johnny was there if they've done something in their live show whether it be the Broadway show or the one they're doing now in Vegas Johnny was there he is Is an older gentleman or he's old oh yeah he's probably 307 I think and he (laughs) He's been around forever. And uh, uh, what happened was Penn wanted to learn how to do one of his signature pieces, Johnny's signature pieces. It's called the Gambler's Ballad, and it's a card bit where he does this amazing card sleight of hand while telling this 
old school story. It's not even in Penn's wheelhouse. It's such an unusual piece, and it doesn't fit Penn, and that's why Penn wanted to do it. He likes to push his boundaries, right? And he wanted to take this old, amazing piece that Johnny has done for years and put it in his live show. So Johnny taught it to him, and then they realized, it came to him like a diamond bullet, I'm quoting Penn when I say that, they realized they should perform this a couple times for friends in the magic world um, as a duet. And they did. And Penn called me and said, I want to shoot this. Why don't you bring your cameras? We'll pay you. Come shoot this. And let's capture me and Johnny doing this thing. Then I started interviewing some people. And all of a sudden, we had a doggone documentary movie, a little love letter to Johnny. And we threw it together. It's 38 minutes. It's not even a full feature. It's a little mini doc about Johnny. And it's some of the people in it. Uh, well, we have um, a Philadelphia's own, right? Yeah. He's from here. Yeah. Um, why is his name leaving my brain? Um, who, 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 uh, Arsenio Hall. A lot of people don't realize this, and I didn't until uh, Penn told me. Um, Arsenio Hall is a huge fan of Johnny Thompson. He is... He is in entertainment because, as a young boy, he saw Johnny Thompson and wanted to get into magic. Oh, really? And then he ended up uh, moving away from magic pretty quickly and into stand-up. But uh, Johnny played a major role in encouraging Arsenio Hall to work his ass off in, in entertainment uh, because he was a fan of his, and he went up. And Johnny's very approachable, and he's like, well, he goes, will you teach me how to do the dove thing? And he's like, sure, I'll teach you, kid. It was awesome. Johnny's amazing. And uh, if you have a real interest in the magic, uh, he'll share the secrets with you. And you just um, sold it. Yeah, yeah. You just well, sold it, so now well, it'll be on what? Well, no, 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 I'm not saying. And I just said, I'm not saying until we get, when you I have a check. It? Okay. <laughs> Can you turn her mic off, please? Because she's your mic, not. Mike, your mic. Okay, I, I, I'm not going to say if it's sold until we sell it. So yeah. it All right. Like we no, we'll keep an eye out for it. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah, it, but it won't be on HBO. Anyway, it's so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hinting, right? So, uh, anyway, but that's it. That's the current project that I've got uh, in the pipeline. Yeah. That's great. And more episodes of The the Ardent Atheist. And we do them when we can. Yeah, yeah we we're slowing down a little bit. We've done them for many years now, and, yeah. and we're just so stinking busy. And it takes a lot of energy to do two shows a week. And edit them. Yeah, I mean, I, book I, these days I'm get getting out. out, you know, one a month or so. But it's amazing how much editing and really time it puts into sort of, you know, increase the edges. There, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm thankful that you invited me to come do your show. Thank you so here, much. While I'm in Philadelphia. Yeah, you're edited. a podcast award winner, both of you, right? Uh, yes. Uh, the atheist. We won. Uh, I don't remember the year that we won, but we won for uh, in the category of um, religious. <laughs> podcast religious and inspirational that was wow. the category w in which we won so <laughs> clearly we won for the inspirational aspect of what we do apparently so that was cool oh, and the best great. part about the whole thing is they spelled our name wrong in the award yeah. they spelled atheist wrong <laughs> it's, it's atheist <laughs> switch the e and the i easy to do well thank you thank you so much for both coming out and taking some time out on your your trip back east here um, I'm, it's a pleasure. I'm just so happy to be back, and then I'm happy to go home tomorrow. Great. <laughs> All right, take care. Thanks. One, two, three, That's it for today's show. Thanks to Heather and Emery for taking time out of their vacation to talk. You can catch them both at ardentatheist.com, where they have over 200 episodes available. As for me, you can check out my writing on film at falker.com. That's P-H-A-W-K-E-R.com. 
Hear me spinning jazz and beyond at WPRB Princeton Mondays from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., both over the air and at WPRB.com. And I hope you will return back soon for more Fun to Know. We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time.